Last Sunday was our annual Missions Emphasis Sunday. How many of you were here with us for Missions Emphasis Sunday? It's when we, we set aside a specific Sunday of the year just to remind us all that the Bible still tells us that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We had our guest, Rob Hoskins. I know that you enjoyed Rob. He's a great communicator and did a wonderful job inspiring us and encouraging us and through all of his stories and the things that he communicated to us, he just reminds us how wonderful Jesus is. And I want to say this about it. I know it's sort of a a once a year uh, emphasis for us. Uh, And I hope uh, Ray Snow is in the room somewhere. The chairman of our missions board does a wonderful job along with the other folks who help him. Pastor Vic is still involved. Vic, aren't you still on the missions board? Good. There's several others. And they do a wonderful job helping us um, keep all of that straight. But I hope that we will continue to remember our commitments. Many of you have made your own um, monthly or weekly commitment of what you're going to give in an offering to help us with uh, missionaries and to help support people like Rob Hoskins and all of the others that are, uh, that are supported that you got on the little card that we gave you last week. So whether you do that on your own in your own format or whether you participate in the monthly missions offering that we take, I hope that we will remember the importance of it and that we'll be reminded that it's still part of the Great Commission and what we're, what we're to do and to remain faithful uh, in doing that so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ not only locally but, but internationally. So what is a missionary anyway? What is a missionary? You know, sometimes we use words in church that we throw them around. We assume everybody knows what the words are. And every once in a while I find out that not everybody knows all the things that we talk about, that we assume that everybody understands. A missionary is someone who leaves their home and their locale, where, they, where they're from, and goes to another place to share the gospel of Jesus Christ or to share the good news. Someone who leaves their home and goes to another place to share the good news of Jesus. So with that in mind, if you were going to venture a guess who the greatest missionary ever was or the first missionary and the greatest that, that, we, could, uh, that we could declare who it is, I wonder who you would say it is. I bet some of you would say it was the Apostle Paul. Who would say it's the Apostle Paul? Some of you would. It's not a bad choice. Many people would say that because you probably have in the back of your Bibles a map that has the little colored lines, and one color is for Paul's first missionary journey, and another color for the second missionary journey, another for the third. And so we know so much about his missionary work. But if we go by this definition of someone who leaves their home to bring the good news of Jesus, then you know who I'm going to declare the greatest missionary to be? I'm going to say it was Jesus Christ himself. For he left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny. He left his home, and he not only came to bring the good news, he came to be the good news for all of us. Can I get a hallelujah for that today? And that is so true. So as we continue with this missionary theme today, I want us to do so by continuing to look at snapshots in the book of Acts and the functioning of the New Testament church, the development of the church and the gospel going out first to uh, the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles. What is a Gentile? Anyone who is not Jewish. And it includes most of us here today. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the gospel was brought to the Gentiles. How about you? We've learned that Peter took the gospel to the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and that opened the door for all of us to receive the gospel. 
And then we work through the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul after he had put the church through so much persecution. And now we're going to come today to chapter 13. If you have your Bibles and you want to open to Acts chapter 13, and we find them operating out of a local church in Antioch of Syria. And the first few verses tell us of something interesting that took place in this little local church. And so I'm going to do my best to work my way through as much of this as possible today. I'm probably going to have to read quite a bit of the passage for for me to do justice to it and give it any honor today. But Acts chapter 13, if you will look. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, he was from Africa, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. Now, I'm not going to labor this too much, but I'm going to tell you this. If you just look at that list of people, the thing that's interesting about that, uh, just a little bit of study about who they were, where they came from, their background, you would find out that we had already in this little church a wide variety of people from a variety of backgrounds. For example, this Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod, was raised in a palace. Well, we know Saul wasn't. And we know what we know about these others, and some of them less than, than, uh, than, than the others, we know that is a, they come from a wide variety. And here in one little church is this kind of mix of people. Verse 2, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate, let me say, are there any youth here who know anything about fasting today? Okay, are you awake? Come on, wake up. I know you've been here all night. They were involved in a 30-hour famine. They've been here all night long and fasting. And so kudos to the young people today for doing what they did. They're a little sleepy, and they might not smell real great this morning, so you might want to keep your distance, but, uh, but they're great kids for sure. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. What a dramatic moment this must have been in this little church. Somehow, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we don't know exactly how, but somehow through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it became clear to them that Saul and Barnabas were to be set apart from some sort of special assignment. And I want to pause here just for a moment to, for all of us to be reminded of something, and that is this. The Holy Spirit is still alive and moving and speaking to us today. Am I right or wrong? He still is longing to speak to us. Some people say, well, Dan, that's old school. That's, that's old-fashioned stuff or whatever, or hocus-pocus or whatever they want to call it. But I want to remind all of us today that this is the model for us. This is the way the New Testament church funct- functioned. And it's in the Bible. It's still there for us. It's how we are to function today. And the Holy Spirit is still alive. He's not given up on us. He's moving and He's speaking to us today. Can I get a witness to that at all? This is why it is so absolutely critical that we keep our hearts tender and pliable, malleable, and soft toward the Holy Spirit. It's so absolutely critical that we do that. It's easy for us to allow our hearts to, be har- to become hard and crusty and cynical because that's the nature of the world that we live in. And we start to reflect more of the world than we do Jesus. We've talked about that recently. But the believer who wants to walk in the paths of the Lord Jesus 
will understand that it's incredibly important that no matter the world that you live in, no matter how difficult the circumstances of either your home or your workplace or wherever it is, we must keep our hearts tender and soft toward the Lord. There's a song we used to sing years ago, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Would you mold me and make me after your will? while I'm waiting, yielded and still. That's still the posture of believers today. Even though you have may, may have faced difficulties that have tended to harden you and made it more difficult for you to function, we must, church, we must keep our hearts soft and tender before the Lord Jesus, not only as individuals, but we must do it as a church. We must keep our hearts open to the Lord. What does the Lord want today? Otherwise, if we tend to close ourselves off to that, and you might think that sounds crazy, but I know churches all over our country who are closing themselves off to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the church. It's happening, folks. And then the church becomes a corporation, becomes overly structured. The services become produced, and programs become technical, and we can institutionalize with no Holy Spirit life. And who wants that? Who wants to be a part of a church with no Holy Spirit life? Whether it's old school or not, it's still what the Bible tells us. Some of us know people who have maybe taken that to some sort of an extreme as they're responding to the Holy Spirit. And well, I know somebody, he's kind of a kook, you know, and he said, well, the Holy Spirit told me this, the Holy Spirit told me that, the Holy Spirit told me to go get a loaf of bread, the Holy Spirit told me this, all kinds of things. And some of us have looked at that and go, I don't want that. I'm not going to be weird like that. But the danger in that church is that we tend to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You may not want to be the one that looks like an extremist or someone that is, you know, uh, gone off the deep end. That may not who you, be what you want to relate to, but the fact is if you're going to walk with Jesus, you must keep your heart open to the Holy Spirit. You must live in a place that says, all that matters to me is what the Holy Spirit is saying to me today. What does He want of me today? What is my purpose and calling today? Where is he leading me today? Lord, what do you want me to say today? When do you want me to be quiet today in a conversation? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to go? Even in the small things, he wants to speak to us and give direction. Am I right or wrong, church? What else do we have on earth today except the word of God and the Holy Spirit to give us guidance? Now, the word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. It certainly points us to Jesus, helps us know about the nature and character of God. But if we talk really honestly today, if we do the real talk thing today, the truth is the Bible does not give us specific answers to every question that you have in life. It can point you in the right direction. But if you're looking to the Bible to tell you what job you're supposed to take, if you happen to be in the fortunate position of having a couple of offers and which job, you know, where's the chapter and verse that's going to tell you which job to take? Or which town I should move to? Or, or uh, what house am I supposed to buy? Or what country am I supposed to go if God has called me to be a missionary? It doesn't say specifically. Or, or who am I to marry? Where's the chapter and verse on that? Have you found it? I haven't. Yes, I did. I found this one. I got in trouble with that. I'm already in trouble. Can I come to your house this afternoon? But the truth is this. The reason we have both the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is because they are in harmony with each other. The Holy Spirit is never going to tell you to do something that violates the Word of God. That's never going to happen. 
And so though we have the Word, it is, it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It reveals the character of God to us. It tells us what Jesus is like and what He would do, what He did do. It tells us all of those things. But in, it's the Holy Spirit. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's ascended into heaven. What we have is the Holy Spirit. And He's not only in the world, He's in us. And He's in us to give us guidance and direction. And that's why we seek Him with all of our heart. That's why we keep our hearts open and pliable and tender before him. And anybody who agrees with that would say amen. So in Acts 13, they were sensitive to that which the Holy Spirit was saying. And they found that the Holy Spirit was giving them some specific directions. So here are these, here's these two missionaries, Saul and Barney. Okay, Barnabas, if that makes you feel better. Saul and Barnabas. They weren't sent out after getting some computer software program or, or studying a market analysis. They, that's, that wasn't what they're, how they were called. They weren't given a personality test to see if they qualify. No, the Holy Spirit gave direction. And the Holy Spirit said, those two, I'm setting them apart to do a specific work. And that's the way the church is still supposed to operate today. We pray, we fast, we read his word, and we see what the Lord wants to do because He's moving in us. He's the one giving direction, and he is the one who is our operations manager. He's the one who puts people in authority. He's the one who sets people sometimes on a high place, and other times other people will be set down for whatever purpose. And we don't always like to accept that. He's the one who says, now the church should be doing this, and now the church should be doing that. Now in your individual lives, you should be doing this or that. And some people would like to say to me, well, Dan, I really like it the way we've done it the last 30 years. Can you keep it the way it's always been? Well, it depends upon what the Holy Spirit is going to say. I'll never forget when we were elected as the pastors of this church, a dear lady came to Becky and she took her hand. She said, oh, I'm so glad that, that you and Pastor Dan were elected the pastors of our church because I know he won't change anything. <laughs> Becky went, well, good luck with that. The truth is, it doesn't matter what change I want to make. What matters is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Are you with me this morning? I know I'm kind of driving this overboard, but church, we must do that. We must follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Even if it violates the way church as we've always known it, or the way we've always done certain things, what if the Lord is saying do something a different way? What if he's saying reach in a different way? Are we going to just say, well, no, I want to stay in my comfort zone the way it always has been, because I like that. Dear one, and I say it gently, it doesn't matter what you like. It doesn't matter what I like. What matters is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. I'm smart enough to know this. I'm not real bright, but I'm smart enough to know this. I can talk about this to you like this this morning, and you understand the concept pretty quickly and pretty easily, but changing the culture takes a long time. And there are several things about Bethesda. We are working on changing the culture because we feel the Holy Spirit. We don't feel. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt the Holy Spirit has given direction. This is the way we are to go. And we're just simply saying, church, are we going to go with the Holy Spirit? We're we going to go that with which we all have always known. I am getting myself in trouble. I'm going to back out of it. And the church said, amen. Always. We are to keep our minds and our hearts geared on what the Lord is saying. The biggest mistakes the church ever makes is when they decide to do by, things by their own understanding and not by His. Let the Lord lead us in everything we do. Everything we do. Let the Lord lead us. 
So now let's move on to this chapter. They get through Cyprus and all of that. I'm skipping a little part here. And now they're going to make their first trip into Turkey. And the gospel is going to go to Turkey, which is called Asia Minor. And it's what we, what we know as Turkey. So let's pick up at verse 13. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. You know why John Mark left them? Because he got scared. He got informed on all the persecution that had taken place, and he got a good glimpse of what it had been like. And so what happened was he got scared. And we know this because this caused a problem between Saul and, uh, Saul and Barnabas. Saul, or known very quickly here as Paul, he was done with them because he decided he was a wimp. He had wimped out on him. Basically is what he was saying. But Barney still cared for him because it was his nephew. And so this caused conflict between these two missionaries that went together. We know that later Paul changed his opinion and even called for John Mark to be with him at the end when he was in prison. Verse 14, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. This is still in what we know today as Turkey. And on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. Now there's two ideas I'd like to extrapolate from this very quickly. If you will look at this verse 14. They traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia, and on the Sabbath they went to the synagogue for the services. Why did they travel all the way up to Antioch of Pisidia? Because let me tell you, that was not on the coast. They went by boat. There was plenty of places right there to, to share the gospel. But Antioch of Pisidia is not on the coast. It's not the first place they came to. It's in the interior. It's 4,000 feet up over a mountain range. It's on the north side of a range of mountains. And why did they go there? Plenty of other people that they could have ministered to along the way. Plenty of folks. Well, these folks need the gospel too. And the answer is this. Paul became sick after they landed. Paul got sick. Pamphylia is a low-lying, flat, swampy area full of mosquitoes. And it was terribly unhealthy, and particularly for Paul. When they landed, he became sick, and though it does not say exactly what he was sick from, it's strongly inferred, or it's easy to understand. It was probably malaria because of the problems they had in that area. And I would say this, just because you're engaged in the work of the Lord is no guarantee that you won't get sick. Somehow we get this false notion that because we give our lives to Jesus and we're now we're going to go on and we're going to do something in the work of the Lord that he's going to make everything go smooth all the time. How many know it does not always go smooth all the time? Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you're dealing with stuff. And it all depends on what is going to serve God's purpose best and what is going to glorify him. Stay with me for this. It was because Paul became sick that they could not stay in the low-lying area, but it forced him to go inland and up the mountain to Antioch. He basically had two alternatives. He could have gone back and given up, or he was going to go on and get to the healthier climate of the hills. And we've we know this, that when the going gets tough, when the going gets tough, obviously John Mark was not of that persuasion because he decided to leave. And we still see that today. When the work of the Lord gets tough, when it gets challenging, when it's not fun anymore, everybody wants to base, is it fun and I, am I enjoying it? When the challenges come in, weaker Christians say, bye-bye, I'm gone. It's true. You know, it's just not working for me, is what they'll say. Or, 
I've got something else I've got. You should hear the excuses. Folks come up with the most glorious excuses for why they're ready to give up on the work of the Lord. Oh my goodness, and it sounds so good. And they can really spiritualize it and they can make it sound great. And I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying that's the one they present. There's usually a whole long other list of reasons behind it. And those of us in leadership know that that's the case. Talk to Pastor Todd and the ministries that he's leading. All of a sudden, people are ready to sign up at the beginning when it's fun and when there's enthusiasm and excitement. But a month down the road or six weeks down the road when all of a sudden sacrifice is required or it's not as easy or you have to press in and the challenge is there, then all of a sudden they're not as, they're not as ready to go. And that's what John Mark did. Or Pastor Brent would know with the choir. As long as it's fun and I'm enjoying this, that's great. But then all of a sudden I've got to be there every Wednesday night? Yeah. It's part of the commitment. And then sometimes people are ready to back off for whatever reason. But Paul, even in his sickness, was willing to go on. He decided he was going to go on, and he knew he could not stay there in the Pamphylia area. Willing to go on even in his sickness because advancing the gospel drove him more than even his sickness did. And the lesson we can learn in this is, is this, church. God can even use adverse circumstances for his glory. It's kind of weak. You got a bigger one than that? Amen. God can even use adverse circumstances for his glory. Can God heal? Yes, of course he can. Does God heal? Yes, of course he can. But God can even use your sickness for his purposes or your tough circumstances for his, for his purposes and for his glory. Because sometimes it's in your tough circumstances, it's in the stuff of life that you're walking through, that you're having to deal with, that will suddenly force you to go another way you weren't planning on going. It wasn't on your radar. God can use that to suddenly change your thinking, change your course, and get you where he needs you to go. And so it was because Paul became sick that he had to leave Pamphylia where he landed on the shore and had to get all the way up to Antioch in Pisidia. And here's what's interesting about that. When you study this at all, Antioch was on the main Roman road from Europe to Asia. At that time, the whole world pretty much was having to travel through Antioch. And so the Lord wanted the gospel established there so that the gospel could then go to the ends of the earth. What a strategic plan. And God manipulated that, even through Paul's sickness. Hallelujah. <laughs> God used the circumstances to direct and guide these obedient followers and cause it to happen to further the gospel. Lord, it may not please me. It may discomfort me. It may not be what I would have chosen. But if it glorifies you and if it advances your purpose and your cause, then I'm in. And that ought to be the position of all of us. Can you say amen to that today? So the question I have to ask you, what adverse circumstances are you facing today that make no sense to you? You cannot get this to work out in your brain, no matter how hard you try. I want to remind you this, and I've come here specifically with a pastor's heart today that's really hurting for many of you. And I say this with every tender, tenderness of spirit that I can possibly muster up. Whatever it is that you're facing today, dear one, God can use it for his glory if you will surrender to him and listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. No matter what it is. Well, Dan, my case is special. Mine's really different. Mine's probably a lot worse than everybody else in the room. No, it probably isn't. I know it's tough, and I'm not minimizing that. 
But I'm asking you, would you just open your mind to the possibility that the Holy Spirit has not forgotten you. God has not left you here without a comforter. And that he, is, he knows exactly what you're facing, exactly what you're going through. And he's going to take those adverse circumstances and probably cause you to make decisions that you would not otherwise have made. And he's going to take you down a path that you otherwise would not have gone. And he has purpose in it all. And what the, what the discriminant believer will do is you will say, Lord Jesus, I am yours to command where you lead me. Just give me the strength I need and the grace I need to face day by day. Somebody say hallelujah to that today. You may even question the place where you're working today. Lord, I, I, I didn't want to work in a place like this. I, I signed up to work in a Christian environment. I wanted to be in a place where, you know, they played praise and worship music all day long and, and where everybody said a lot of hallelujahs and stuff like that. That would have been a lot better because then I could have been a stronger Christian. And I've ended up in this place where the language is so foul. It is dog-eat-dog. Dog. Everybody's at everybody's throat. You wouldn't believe some of the tension that we have in the place that I work. Don't raise your hand, but is that true for anybody? I know it is. I didn't want, but you know what the Lord might say? I needed a missionary there. I needed someone who would leave their home, even if they traveled 20 minutes to work. They would leave their home and their locale, and they would go to a place and say, I'm willing to take the gospel of Jesus. If I'm the only one, if I'm the only voice, God will give me the grace, he will give me the courage, he will give me the boldness, he will give me everything that I need to stand strong so that the gospel of Jesus can go forth in this area. Bless the Lord. Come on, put your hands together and acknowledge the truth in that. So, Lord, do you need a voice in this office for you? I'll be that voice. You need a witness for you? I'll be that. Doesn't mean I have to pass out tracts all day long, and that's good if the Lord tells you to do that. Doesn't mean just by the way I live and the way I honor you. The fact that I don't participate in some of the other stuff that they participate in. I'll be a voice for you, Jesus. Notice the other thing about this verse 14, and I'm going to get halfway through this sermon today probably. The other thing about verse 14 is they went to the synagogue for the services. It is significant to notice the first place they went to share the gospel. They went to the people to whom they could relate. That's the first place they went. I think there's a strategy there and something in this that we need to observe and, and apply to our own lives because the truth is we all should be missionaries. Amen? I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, I'm a missionary. I just didn't know it. Go ahead and tell them that. So here they are in Antioch of Pisidia. First place they go is to the synagogue because they were Jewish. They knew the Jewish people. They knew the Jewish mindset. And here's what I would say that we can learn from that. The place that God probably can most easily use you and the best shot you have at being a voice for Jesus is this. If you are a 50-year-old businessman, you should be targeting 50-year-old businessmen. Because you understand their life stage. You understand something of what their, what their life looks like and their struggles and their trials and where they are today. If you're a young person, a teenager that has gone through all the craziness of the teen years and, and you found Christ, you probably have the best shot at witnessing to teenagers and other people who are going through the same stuff that you've gone through. That's the best way. That's the lesson we learn from this. They went to people to whom they could relate, and they spoke to them in a way that they could understand, and they began to preach, it says in Antioch, and preach they did. Verse 15, go with me. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, 
Come and give it. And I will read on, but I, I just can't go past that word encouragement without reminding all of us. Let's be excellent in, excellent in encouragement. You know that probably on the row that you're sitting on right now, there's people who have walked in today that may be drowning in discouragement. There is so much discouragement. Everywhere you go, you see it. People are just weighed down with the problems of life, and it's just discouragement, discouragement. It's why it's so important that all of us understand the importance of speaking an encouraging word. Hey, brother, proud of you today. I just pray the Lord gives you strength. Just some word of encouragement. And they're sitting there waiting for you to talk to them, and you're sitting there waiting for them to talk to you. Be the one who reaches out to somebody else. Give them a word of encouragement. Because we are not just, Des used to say this so much. He said it so wonderful. We're not marbles in a bag. We're not people who are disconnected in the body of Christ. We're part of the church of the Lord Jesus. We're not just people who bump into each other. But it's more like grapes on a vine. There's life flowing between us, and we need to share that and speak a word of encouragement. Can I get an amen to that? Verse 16, so Paul stood and he lifted his hand to quiet them and he started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I want you, I'm going to give you an assignment. I want you to read the, the rest of this chapter, at least verses 17 through 41 this afternoon when you go home. Because it's extremely important. But I want you to understand that Paul gives a very lengthy sermon here and a message. But it's his strategy that I want you to see. Don't read it now. I want you to read it later. Okay? It's lengthy, and I'm not going to take the time to read it all. But there's three categories. As I wrap up this today, I want you to be aware of. It's the mindset of a missionary. And it should be our mindset as well. Three things. Israel, Jesus, you. That's the approach he took, and it's brilliant. It's a brilliant strategy. First of all, Israel. In this long, lengthy sermon that he gives, primarily verses 17 through 41, he simply summarizes the history of Israel over 500 years. The people of Israel still look back to this period of 500 years from Moses to David and from slavery to liberty, from being a downtrodden people in Egypt to being people who could lift up their heads in their own land with the king. And that's the period that he covers. In other words, he goes to what they know. He talks to them about what they understand and what they know. That's where he starts. That's what he's trying to do. He's beginning with the things that are familiar to them. And when you're going to witness to somebody else and you're going to be a missionary in your world, when you go to somebody, don't st walk in and the first thing you talk about is, is wow them with your understanding of dispensationalism. That's not where you start. You start with something that they know, and that's what he did here. He's beginning with the things that, are, that, that they know. Number two, he's talking to them about God even before he presents Jesus to them, who God is, what he's about. It's very critical in his strategy. Number three, the most important thing that Paul began every message by telling them what God had already done for them. But before he spoke about what God wanted to do for them, he wanted them to see what they had, that they had already been involved with God by letting them see what God, that God had been good to them and God had done something for them. He may start by saying, look at that son. Who do you think put that, gave us that son today? It was God and we should be grateful. Who gave you your food today? It was God and we should be grateful. And the lesson for us is this. Start with where they are, not with where you are, but start with where they are. Look at specifically what he tells these Jews. He says, God gave you fertility. From one family you became two and a half million. God gave you liberty. He brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. 
He's telling them as he's relating to them, God gave you maturity. He endured your foolishness and when you wandered in the desert for 40 years. He gave you security. He destroyed seven nations and gave you your own land. He gave you stability. He sent judges to rule your affairs. He gave you sovereignty and he gave you a king, a man after his own heart. God has given you so much. Now watch the transition. But there's so much more he wants to give you. There's something more he wants to give you because all of that's good. And I know that you can relate to that. But what you really need is a savior. What you really need is Jesus. And he begins now to tell them about Jesus. He does so by telling them, starting with John the Baptist, that John the Baptist, his message was repentance and baptism, saying that you need a clean start. Then you need to repent of your sin and be baptized, for there's one coming after me, John says, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie. There may be someone here this morning who says to me, Pastor, I need a clean start. I've made a mess of things. Even as Paul is telling this message to the the Jews in the synagogue, there may be people here this morning who say, I need a clean start. Then I'm presenting to you the only one who can give you a clean start, and his name is Jesus. He can do it for you today if you simply... Repent and ask, ask him to forgive your sin in, into your life. It does require something of you. I want to say this. It does require that you confess your sin. Some people want a Jesus that they just walk in and feel good and say, yeah, I'll add you to what I'm doing in my life because it looks like a nice thing and it'll make me a little bit religious and that'd be okay. No. If you want the life that Jesus has come to give you, then you come confessing your sin. You may be tempted to hide it. You may be bold this morning. Sir, if you want to hide your problem with pornography, then there's nothing the Lord can do for you. If you want to hide the problem that you have with your anger, then there's little to nothing that God can do for you. Because the scripture says, if you will confess your sins, he will be faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Ma'am, you may want to hide your problem with jealousy. You may want to hide your addiction to alcohol or whatever it is that you're facing. It's easier to hide those things, but that is not the way to Christ. The way to Christ and the way to the life that he has come to give you is to confess your sin. Church, can you say amen to that today? He will be faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But it takes someone strong enough a woman or a man strong enough to confess their sin and then the Lord can give them a clean heart. I want you to bow your head with me right now. Pastor Brent, come.